Please bow your heads with me. Our Father and our God, we have sung to you what I'm now going to ask for you to make happen in our lives. I pray that we would hang on every word, O God, and that we would, in fact, be hungry to listen to your voice. And Lord, when we are in the presence of God, and when you speak to our hearts from your word and we hear your voice, it changes us. It has to change us. And so I pray this morning that you would do that, that you would do a powerful work in our lives. Lord, I, I believe that what we're going to talk about this morning is something that far too few in the kingdom of God experience in the way that you want us to. You have given us an incredible resource, the Holy Spirit of God, and we benefit from so few of the assets of that amazing reality. So God, I pray that 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 would come to an end today. I pray that there would be a new resolve among us that would ripple through this congregation and that we would be done with um, a relationship that's light with you, but that we would really invite you to take us into the heart of Jesus Christ in a, in a new and profound way. Lord, as we come before you this morning, I pray that we would change our minds about how we've been living and prefer and choose to live after your own heart, I pray. For ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, um, I guess so important is the doctrine that I'm going to share with you today that it's really the second round in what we have talked about before, but it's a different, it's a different aspect. I, I'm thinking, as I think about the, uh, the misunderstandings and misunderstood things in, in doctrine, in the, in the realities of God, the person and work of the Holy Spirit may be among the very top, at the top of the list of those things that are misunderstood how we live it out, what it really means to us. Uh, And um, it seems to me that in so many ways we have been taking our cues on the truth about the Holy Spirit almost in the same way as, as as as, as if your teenage daughter was out visiting some somewhere and you didn't know where she was and she called you and asked you to come and pick her up and you said, well, okay, so tell me where you are. And she starts to give you these kinds of instructions. Well, I... I, I know we took like a, we went over like hills and, and, and there were really like a lot of curves and, and uh, I, I remember going like over, maybe like over a river, I'm not sure, like it's a really long way and somebody said that we went, our car went on a ferry but I don't know, I was texting and I don't know, it's, it's like stop it. That's delightful all that you experience but how am I going to get there? I, I have no idea, you haven't described it all, I need a road map. I think way too many of us have tried to navigate our relationship with God, in particular with the Holy Spirit, on the basis of bizarre conversations and experiences rather than the roadmap of God's Word. And so I want to encourage you this morning to join with me as we take a journey into one of the more important, practical realities of your life, the spirit-filled life. What's spirit-filled living? What does that look like? What should be? Today, I have my, as I've been praying this week, and my heart's burden is that, that we would really 
as a congregation understand finally what this is because it is so misunderstood and it is so absolutely important. In fact, it's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? What do I need to do? What do I need to know? Um, so we're going to take a little bit of a review, review first of all, but let me point out to you that the Holy Spirit's work in our life is a long-standing promise that was given way back in the Old Testament. And in, the, in those descriptions, it really does articulate the two main realities of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and what are the benefits of being filled with the Spirit. So if you're really quick with your Bibles, you can turn with me quickly to Jeremiah 31, 34, but I'm not going to wait for you. I'm just going to start reading. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. The first work of the Holy Spirit of God is to help us to really know God. That's the purpose, that's a fundamental purpose. We might really experience God in our lives. And the second uh, major aspect of this is found over in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, 27. It says there, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So there's the two-fold responsibility of the Holy Spirit living in us to help us to really know our God and to move us and to motivate us to really obey his teachings. Those are the two realities. And when we're talking about the filling of the Spirit, it shouldn't be mysterious to us because the end goal, the end reality is that I might know Christ and I might obey his teachings. It's really a discipleship uh, model where Jesus commissioned us, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. The Holy Spirit enables us to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the role that he takes upon himself. Now, just so we clear a little bit of the fog and by way of review, let me go over a couple of terms in the event that you didn't hear about the Holy Spirit last time or you just need a, a refresher. And I just want to go quickly over the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit and remind ourselves. We hear of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we are taught that at salvation, when we come to know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are immersed by the Holy Spirit into Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a one-time event. The word there, baptism, really in English means immersed. You have been, by the Holy Spirit, fully immersed into Christ at salvation, a one-time event. You have been, secondly, indwelt. There's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you are immersed in Christ, you are now also indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 8, 11. The Holy Spirit resides in every believer permanently. 
If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a believer. If you're here this morning, you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, it's because you're not a believer. You don't know Christ. But if you know Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. So you are indwelt. Thirdly, we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1.22 and also in Ephesians 4.30, that sealing means that the mark of ownership has been put upon you. And the mark, you, you, we know we seal letters, you seal contracts or whatever you do, and, and the ideas of ownership, and, and you put, someone puts their mark on you. The living God, at your salvation, put his permanent mark on you by giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our seal. He is our earnest, our guarantee of our eternal salvation. He is the he himself, God has given himself to us to guarantee to us as a deposit of what is to come, our eternal salvation. That's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. One-time event. Once you're sealed, you're sealed. Once you're indwelt, you're indwelt. Once you're baptized, you're baptized. There's also the gifting of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 3 through 11 when you came to know Christ, you were given gifts, special endowment of the Holy Spirit's power, of God's power, to enable your talents and your abilities to accomplish great and amazing and powerful things for God. In fact, to build the new temple, the body of Christ. That's what gifts or gifts of the Spirit are all about. You receive those at salvation. You are gifted. Those four things are automatics. You have nothing to do with them except by faith responding and then God baptizes you through the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, into Christ himself. He indwells you permanently. He seals you, a mark of ownership paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are now no longer your own. You've been bought with a price and he owns you because the Holy Spirit is now indwelling you and you have been gifted by God. All of those things are done by the Holy Spirit one time permanently until you go to be with Christ. Now, there is one left that is confusing to us, and that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. We are not commanded to be baptized by the Spirit. We're not commanded to be indwelt by the Spirit. We're not commanded to be sealed by the Spirit. We're not commanded to be gifted by the Spirit because those are all given to us by the Spirit. But we are called upon to be filled with the Spirit. There is an expectation upon us that we are required to in some way cooperate with what God is doing. Now, I want to quickly say that you can't be filled in the Spirit by your own flesh. Even the filling of the Spirit is an act of God from start to finish that we cooperate with. When it says the command, be filled with the Spirit, it could easily have said, cooperate with the filling of the Spirit. Because it is a present passive tense. For those of you who care about grammar, and uh, you should because when you're studying the Bible, it teaches us to understand the truth. And I know that's my job, and so I'm telling you what it is. But we are, pre we are present. In other words, keep on being filled. The idea is you might not be filled right now. You, might, you can be baptized. You can be indwelt. You can be sealed. You can be incredibly gifted. But right now at this very moment, you might not be filled with the Spirit. 
you are and I, I am, to keep being filled. And the being is passive, which means we are being filled not from our strength, but by God. Keep being filled with the Spirit. You're saying, well, I still don't know how that works. Of course, you may not. That's what we're doing today. That's what we're going to try to do today. I want to get really as practical as I can with you and help you to know this because this one is really so important. If we're, if we're required to participate in this, we're commanded to participate in this, we ought to know what this is. We ought to know how we can respond to this command, shouldn't we? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Kelvin. Once in a while, I'm looking for some interaction. Is it too much to ask of you? that I have to do all the talking, can you just once in a while say yes? Awesome. So one of the great elusive mysteries of the Christian journey is this filling of the Spirit. What is it? Do I automatically have it? The answer is no. Do I, what does it look like? We can help you to look at this today. Why do I need this? I'm saved. Isn't that enough? Well, number one, it's a command. And no, you were saved to become radically different. You were saved to become radically changed. This is how your life changes. If you want to understand how your life will change, how you can respond to the song we just sang, it's about filling of the Spirit. That's how God changes us. It's the filling of the Spirit. And so um, this morning, uh, to give you uh, some more orientation, the Holy Spirit answers the question, how is God with us? Because the Bible promises, Emmanuel, God with us. How is God with us? God is with us through his Holy Spirit. So that answers that question. The filling of the Holy Spirit answers the question, how with God are you? Makes all the difference in the world. Makes all the difference in the world every day of your life. We're invited to ask for the Holy Spirit, Luke eleven, thirteen, which means the filling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said there, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Spirit? He wants us to enjoy what it means to, to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. That's what God wants. This is, by the way, is an exceptional thing. Oh, yeah, there's some Christians who walk in the Spirit, but, but they're super Christians. No, this is, this is expected and commanded of every Christian. This is for every Christian who means business with God. And you ought to mean business with God. After all that Christ has done for us, we ought to mean business with God. That's what this is about. There is much confusion that circulates among us that the Holy Spirit and His power is an end in itself. That what many people in evangelical, broader evangelical circle are looking for is, oh, yeah, just give me the sweet Holy Spirit and in His power, and that's what I'm looking for. And why they want that is because they like the idea of having divine power in their lives so that they can become sort of associate gods. Look at me. I can name and claim stuff. I can, I can call on God's power. The end, the end is not to, for us to have the Holy Spirit and His power. 
The end reality of having the Holy Spirit is that we might know Jesus more and glorify Him more. In uh, J.I. Packer's excellent book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, he defines it this way by stating, the Holy Spirit's mission is to glorify Christ. John 16, 14. Let me, let me just make sure you see this with your own, because just because J.I. Packer said it doesn't mean it's true, but it probably is if J.I. Packer said it. John 16, 14, meaning, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will bring glory to me, Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Holy Spirit has been given to us by the Father, by Christ himself, that in turn, Christ might be more known to us and honored and glorified. To finish the teaching of Packer, his mission is to glorify Christ so that Christ is more known, more loved, more trusted, more honored, more praised in our lives. So if you're wondering, why do I need the filling of the Holy Spirit? What will it do for me? What, what is, that's it. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will know Jesus Christ like you have never known him before. And your life will change because you will trust him more. You will love him more. You will desire him more. You will praise him more. You will honor him more. It will be more natural to you. The filling of the Holy Spirit is how Christ and his power become real and operative in your life. So if you're frustrated, you feel like you're not changing, you know, I'm just the same as I ever was, nothing seems to be moving forward, I can't feel God, I don't know where he is, I'm not, I'm not experiencing him, I would probably think about looking at this as the problem. You are not practicing the command to be filled with the Spirit. So enough of the preliminaries you're saying. How? Can I experience this? How can I know about this? Can I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 10? The best place to go to understand how we experience the filling and the falling fresh of the Holy Spirit on us is to examine an example of it in um, Acts. So I'm going to preach Peter's sermon to you today from Acts 10, if that's okay. And there's going to be a little bit of of adapting of John Piper's outline. So it's Peter Piper. <laughs> you know. Acts 10. Now just to um, update us, uh, I'm going to jump into the text here a little bit, but this is an incredible place in the Scriptures for you and for me particularly because I'm guessing in this congregation this morning that 99.9% .9 of us are Gentiles. I'm leaving open the possibility there might be a Jewish person here because I, I don't know for sure, but, but probably 99.9% .9 of us are Gentiles. And do you realize that this is the moment when salvation, when God's heart pressed and pushed against those who were resisting, said, go and tell the gospel to the Gentiles. You and I would not be here today if Peter had not allowed himself to be filled with the Spirit and had resisted and disobeyed God, perhaps we wouldn't be here today or he would have got someone else because God's heart was for us anyway. But Peter got the joy of proclaiming the first sermon 
to lead Gentiles to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. I, I, I really became emotional when I was thinking about it this morning in the first service. I was thinking about what I was preaching. And as Annie was singing, I became very emotional thinking, wow, Jesus, you, this, what we're going to talk about, then that moment in, in Caesarea was the turning point of the gospel to the Gentiles. And I'm here today being able to talk about your greatness and your glory because of your gracious heart toward us at that particular moment. It just really, really moved my heart. So here we are in the book of Acts, and there was a guy named Cornelius, a centurion, a soldier, a Roman soldier, who was a God-fearer. He, he had this idea that the Roman gods were not the right thing. But he didn't know God yet. But he had this idea that, that it was just the wrong thing. And he was a God-fearer, and he prayed to God, and, and, and he also gave alms to the poor. He was a very generous man. And, he, he, and God saw his life and heard him and, and, um, and, and gave Peter a vision. And in that vision, it, it was a picture of animals that were unclean, and Peter didn't want to, you know, the Jews would not eat these animals. And, and God gave him this vision and said, Peter, what I call clean, don't call unclean. And it was an aha moment for Peter when he came, came to realize that God is doing something and God is telling me something. And when, the, when the, uh, the entourage of Gentiles came to ask Peter to come with them to tell a Roman centurion about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was the aha moment for him. Ah. And this is where we pick it up. Verse 19 of Acts 10. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I've sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all, by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. Uh, the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. He filled up his house with people. And, and as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That's a great verse for you to prepare yourselves on any given Sunday. Because that ought to be the hard attitude for which you assemble here and gather here. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you, Rick, to tell us. Or whoever happens to be sharing the word of God with you. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. 
but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. What attracts the Holy Spirit? This attracts the Holy Spirit. Five things I want to share with you this morning attract the Holy Spirit. The first is this. You, comes out of verse 36, you have to find peace with God through Jesus Christ so you can enjoy God's peace. Notice what it says in 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, the starting point for anything that we're going to talk about this morning is to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you might have peace with God. You can't have peace with God unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But once you've come to know Christ as Lord and Savior and have now received peace with God, the Holy Spirit of God has moved into your life to keep the peace with God. This is what reconciled living is all about. When you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, one aspect of the filling of the Spirit is that you might be able to enjoy the peace of God that you acquired at salvation, that you might be able to live your lives daily experiencing God's peace. In order for that to happen, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Why do I say that? Because the filling of the Spirit of God draws us, as, as Paul writes to the Galatians, into keeping in step with the Spirit. What does that mean, to keep in step with the Spirit? It means that we will, uh, the, the actual um, language of keeping in step with the Spirit is holding to a rule or proceeding under another's control. The whole idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is that we might choose every day, every decision that we make to make certain that what I am doing is not at odds with God. Because if what I am doing is at odds with God, I will not enjoy the peace of God. I, I have had enough counseling sessions where people have come in to talk to me and say, they, they, they tell me some harebrained idea they're going to do, which is completely in contrast contradistinction to the Word of God. It's completely against the Word of God. And they tell me, but I have, peace. I have peace about it. I look at them like they're from another planet. You might have peace as the world gives peace, but you don't have peace with God. You have peace because you've engineered your own desires and you've come to, to decide on what you want and you've talked yourself into I have peace about it, but you don't have peace about this because this is against the Word of God. This is putting you at odds with God. And if you are at odds with God, you can't possibly experience the fullness 
of why you were saved in the first place, to enjoy every day God's peace. And if you have a restlessness or anxiety in your life, by the way, I said this to the first service, I am not talking about stuff I don't know. I'm talking about stuff that not only I know theoretically, but I have experienced in my own life. If I am not paying attention to this doctrine, it pretty soon bubbles up in my life, and I realize, man, what's going on in my life? I'm not feeling at all settled with God. I'm not feeling the peace that I'm supposed to have with God at all. I'm restless. I'm anxious. Trusting the Holy Spirit to enable you to resist and remove anything that would put you at odds with God or His ways is how you will reduce and remove restlessness and anxiety and experience God's peace in your life. Does anybody need that or want that? That's what the filling of the Spirit brings into our lives. The Holy Spirit also enables us to disconnect trials and struggles from the whispers of the enemy who wants us to think we're forsaken and forgotten and unloved by God. Because the first thing that comes into your life when stuff starts to fall apart is, where's God? I thought he wouldn't leave me or forsake me. Where is he? I don't feel him. I'm not, I don't, I'm not experiencing him. These trials, I, I don't have God's peace. And it is the Holy Spirit who comes to the, us in that moment and says, hey, come on. God loves you. God will not forsake you. I'm living proof. The Holy Spirit in your life. I'm now talking like the Holy Spirit. He's saying to you, I'm in your life. God hasn't forsaken you. God hasn't left you. The Holy Spirit in our lives proves the doctrine and theology of God not forsaking us or leaving us. The peace of God brings through the Holy Spirit is not the absence of trials and problems. It's the presence of God to bring us peace. And we've talked to each other in great trials and struggles and circumstances. And regularly we give the testimony to one another. We'll say, I don't know how you're going through this. And it's, I don't know how I'm going through this either. I don't know why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. The only thing I can say is the only reason I have peace about this is because of the amazing grace of God, and He has not forsaken me or left me during this trial and struggle in my life. That's the experience of the feeling. And the more we are paying attention to that, the more we are, are making certain that by the power of God we are adopting in our lives choices that are not making us at odds with God, the more we are filled with the Spirit. We are being filled with the Spirit as we cooperate with that voice of the Spirit in our lives who says, go this way, go that way, don't go that way. Pay attention to God's Word. Don't disobey God's Word here. The more we do that, the more we will have the peace of God. The second is this. Notice this in verse 36. We will have the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Jesus Christ, if you want to have the experience, the filling of the Spirit, Jesus Christ has to be Lord of everything. Everything? Yeah, everything. Did you see what it said there? He's Lord of all. Whether you make him Lord of all or not, he is Lord of all. And you will cooperate with that and the filling of the Spirit as you, in fact, make choices and decisions that ensure that He is Lord over things in you in your life. There's the three biggies. The Lordship of Christ. They are time. Come on. 
It's another T. Talents. Treasures. These three can become the unholy trinity of our life. If you want to live a life whereby the Spirit of God is filling you day by day, then you have to, by the Spirit's power, wrestle under control the lordship of time, talents, and treasures. I don't know if you read this. I read something quite alarming this week. Some of them the first service had. Did anybody read about the, an article by the CEO of Netflix? Anybody read that this week? Okay, a couple of you did. Anybody know what Netflix is? Yes, you do. Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, was asked a question. Who is the competition and what do you plan to do about them? Now, in case you don't know what Netflix is, Netflix is that thing you pay for so you can watch every episode of Star Trek until you foam at the mouth, fall over backwards into a coma. <laughs> and there are, there are competition. There is competition to Netflix. There's HBO, there's Hulu, there's Amazon, whatever. Anyway, he was asked that question. And it turns out that the CEO of Netflix does not consider Amazon or HBO or Hulu his competition. Netflix's main competitor, according to him, is something far more elemental. Sleep. Listen, this is, this is serious business. You can laugh, but it's serious, seriously. Sleep. Here's what he said. When you watch a show from Netflix and you get addicted to it, you stay up late at night. You really were competing with sleep on the margin. And so it's a very large pool of time. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, I don't need more customers. I just need more of the customers that I already have. That's a scary reality to the Christian life. Satan's methodology is becoming more invasive, more subtle, more sneaky than ever. It's a stewardship of time. If we lose at this reality, if we, we need to understand that we have, I, I see this on Facebook and stuff all the time. I see people addicted to these games on Facebook and stuff, playing all night long. In the very context where it says, be filled with the Spirit, it says, redeem the time. Live as wise, not as unwise, for the days are evil. Do you realize we give an account to the Lord for how we spend our time? This is not a time for Christians to be frittering away their time. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, it starts with making your time submissive to the Lordship of Christ. It's going to get quieter as we move through this. Talents. 
God has given us talents and abilities. Does the Lord have your talents and abilities? Or are you using them for everything else and anything else that doesn't actually make a difference for the gospel? We are to bring our talents under the Lordship of Christ. What about our treasures? The treasures that God has given to us. What about them? Are you generous? Do you give to God generously from what he has already given you as a thank gift for all that he means to you? Are you a person who gives a tithe of all that you have to the Lord God? It's not a New Testament concept. Don't even talk to me about that. God's never lowered his grace to us from the New Te Old Testament to the New Testament. I'm not going to lower my love for him. Here's how it works. If you can't afford to tithe, then maybe you can't afford to have cable TV. I'm not, and I'm not talking to you about something I haven't done, Lynn and I haven't done in our own lives. I don't want you to, I, I don't, I'm not saying this for you to feel sorry for me because I don't feel sorry for myself at all. Because what God has given to me is way beyond anything. I, so don't feel sorry for me, but but we've chosen it. We don't drive new cars. And the simple reason is because I can't afford to drive a new car and give generously to God too. It's as simple as that. And, and that, that, these are, I, I'm, not, I'm just telling you practically so you understand what we're talking about here. Being filled with the Spirit is, is us cooperating with what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to be Lord of our time, Lord of our talents, Lord of our treasures. But we have to make decisions that state that. And these are, these, are, these are matters that come from the Holy Spirit pressing into your life. This is what you need to do. It's different for all of you. I can't tell you what it is for you. But you need to ask those questions. Relying on the Holy Spirit to total, supervise the total handover of your life and everything in it to the Lordship of Christ. Otherwise, you are quenching the Spirit in your life. Because it's possible to do that. And you're saying, I'm not feeling the Spirit. I'm not changing. The stuff is, I don't even know what's going on. I don't have an appetite for the things of God. I'm not enjoying the praise, coming together with God's people and praising. I don't really even want to be part of it. I'm telling you then you're quenching the Spirit. And you might be quenching the Spirit in these three areas. One of these three areas or two of these three areas. It's a total handover of our life and everything in it to the Lordship of Christ. And it will result in God being more real to you than everything else in your life. Because whatever is Lord of your life is the most real to you. It could be Netflix. If you're consumed by the next game you can play or the next show you can watch, instead of how to know and deepen my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and follow him with a full and devoted heart and be a disciple who's totally committed to him. There's something wrong with the lordship reality in your life. And you're not being filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 38. Jesus, how, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and power. When we're talking about spirit-filling reality, 
you need to live with the conviction that just as Christ was anointed by the Holy Spirit with power, it will be necessary for you to completely rely on the Holy Spirit to bring effectiveness to your life and ministry. If Jesus, the very Son of God, didn't take a step in any days in his life on the face of this planet without being filled in the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit of God, who are we to think that we could deign to go out of our house and not be filled with the Spirit of God? How could we take the risk of living our lives and making decisions and making choices if the Son of God needed the Spirit of God in your own strength, the Bible tells us, John 15, 5, you can do nothing. Do we actually believe that? Do you think God says stuff to us from his word because that's, well, you know, this might be true. Or maybe it's not true of you. No, without God, we can do nothing. The Holy Spirit's not an EMS agent or an aspirin. He is the only power source that connects you to God. If we are not living our lives filled with the Spirit and life comes tumbling into us, which it does, it's then that we're like, oh, I need the Holy Spirit. I need my emergency services. I need, an, I need the Holy Spirit as an aspirin to bail me out of this. Jesus taught us to walk in the Spirit. Jesus needed that. I have learned, and I have learned this by experience, that the only way to combat terror, frustration, weakness, stress about uncertainty, is to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. When I am afraid, when I am stressed, I realize I'm not filled with the Spirit. I'm not walking with Him the way I, I ought to. I'm trying in my own flesh to live my life. The more full of the Spirit we become, the less full of ourselves we are. That's the exchange that takes place. The only available salvation from all that is really against us is the power of walking in the Spirit of God. Verse 38, it says there that the power of Christ through the Spirit of God and what was happening there, he went on doing good and healing and all who were under the power of the devil because, and all, of the, all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to resist and remove sin and the power of the devil for the sake of bringing glory to Jesus will result in knowing Jesus and his powerful presence in increasing measure. Beloved, listen. If you are struggling with besetting sin or you are fighting an addiction, you already know that in the power of your own will, because you've tried, you are losing the battle. And you are living a life of defeat instead of the life of victory. We are to be more than conquerors through Christ who died for us. There's only one way. 
The only way to learn how to resist sin and break the power of the devil in your life is by walking in the Spirit, is by being filled with the Spirit. This is not about a momentary deliverance. This is about discipleship every day of your lives, putting on the full armor of God, and you will be able to resist. There is not a shortcut to this. It won't work if you, are, if you are nullifying the strength of God in your life. If you are allowing the Spirit of God who indwells you to be dormant in your life, you are not accessing the power of God that you have been given to defeat the works of the devil in your life. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus saved you, to defeat the works of the devil in your life. Sin will either overrun you or the Holy Spirit will fill you, one or the other. You can't walk with Jesus and walk away and rebel against him at the same time. You are either walking away from him or you are walking with him. That's what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, to walk in the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit means to keep in step with Jesus and to experience his power in your life. This is how the Holy Spirit makes a difference in your life. The Holy Spirit filling makes a difference in your life. Increasing your intimacy with the Holy Spirit will change your appetites. It has to. So those sins that were desirable to you, they will lose their strength. They will lose their taste. Not only that, because I am walking in the discipleship of Jesus, we are actually, this is the Holy Spirit filling, literally, is how we are disciples of Jesus. We've read about how the disciples walked from Jericho to Jerusalem with Jesus. Do you realize that the filling of the Holy Spirit is how we walk from Oshawa to Toronto with Jesus? That's how it works. It's the same thing. They were concerned that Jesus went away. He said, I'm going to send another counselor. He'll be another comforter. He'll not only be with you, he'll be in you. He will keep you in step. This being filled with the Spirit is to pay attention every day of our lives to the holy, heavenly counselor who is saying to us, this is the way, walk you in it. This is God's way. This is God's choice. And every time you say no to that voice, every time you resist the heavenly, holy counselor who's right there with you, speaking to you, your heart gets hard. And it gets harder and harder, and eventually you can't hear his voice anymore. But every time, and if you will, if your heart is hard, and you listen to one thing he tells you to say, and you respond to it with obedience, your heart will soften. And every time your heart softens, you are moving in the direction of being filled with the Spirit. This is how it works. Finally, Peter, from verses 39 to 43, just shares the gospel from his heart. If you position yourself and your resources for investment in the gospel enterprise, you will attract the attention of the Holy Spirit. Christ crucified, dead, buried, risen again, commissioned us 
the judge over the living and the dead, forgives us of our sins. You live the gospel-centered life privately and publicly. I was out with someone who works with someone in here this week. And I was, they work with several people in here. And I named a few of the people I knew work. And one of the names that I brought up, they said, what? He goes to your church? My heart sank. Because I've been through that lingo before. There's no gospel-centered life going on. They were shocked that they come to our church. That's the spirit empty life. As Peter was speaking the words, the gospel-centered life, the intentional gospel messaging will result in the spirit-filled life. Turning people's attention to Jesus is what the Holy Spirit does. And when you do that in your life, God loves it. And the Holy Spirit fills you. Say, I can't, I'm afraid. No, he'll fill you. Because God loves what the Holy Spirit does. And while Peter was speaking, still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell fresh on them with power. It's the Holy Spirit, beloved, who takes you and me to Jesus. That's the way you get there. His presence, his power, his peace. And by more fully having me, I more fully have him. That's how it works. That's how it works, beloved. Father, would you please help us to become discontented with anything about our lives that isn't filling and being filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, Father, teach us to say no to ungodliness. Teach us to put the Lord first in all things. Teach us to say no to things that would put us at odds with your peace. Teach us, oh God, to marvel in the gospel. And may it exude from every pore of our bodies. Jesus Christ died for us. And saved us. Oh God, fill us with your spirit. And may we cooperate and say yes to our heavenly, holy counselor. For Jesus' sake, amen. Our glory is not in the cause or in the cost it's in the prize Jesus Christ and it's through spirit filled living that we really experience the prize can I just illustrate this with a quick story because I want to make sure we really practically understand this remember a few weeks back Pastor Calvin gave us a car story I was worried about you, buddy. I got my own car story. A few years back, one of the guys who 
executive of GM here, brought to our Father's Day car show a car that I almost changed my basic orientation over in terms of buying a new versus old. Brought a Corvette C7 convertible. Now, this car has a 6.2, listen Calvin, this car has a 6.2 liter supercharged V8 engine. It goes from zero to 96K, I don't know why zero to 96 as opposed to 100, but zero to 96K in 3.7 seconds. We're there. And it's a GM product, so I'm in good stead here. So that's the showroom reality. And as I looked at it and as they told me the facts of it, I said, okay, I, I guess I believe what I know. They said, that's not good enough. Pastor Rick, get in this car. Wouldn't give me the keys because I'm not licensed to drive such a supercar. I'll take you for a drive. We went out to Roslyn Road. And he said, remember that zero to 96 in 3.7 seconds? Watch this. I was pressed back into the seat, and my, the, my body now is, is emblazoned in the seat for the next three days. <laughs> in the showroom, or the description, I believe what I know. But when I took it for a test drive, I now know what I believe. And this is what the filling of the Spirit is all about. We believe in whom we know. But when we are filled with the Spirit, we know in whom we believe. Our Father, I pray, O oh God, that we would not settle for knowing about you, about what we believe, but that we would know you, O oh God. O oh God, please, may we embrace the daily decisions and discipline of listening to the voice of the Spirit of God, our Heavenly Counselor, reading the Word of God, and then walking in the Spirit, O oh God, that we might know Jesus, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.